I came to you with my heart in pieces and found the God with healing in his hands. I turned to you, put everything behind me and found the God who makes all things new. I look to you, drowning in my questions, and found the God who holds all wisdom. And I trusted you and stepped out on the ocean. You caught my hand among the waves, cause you're the God of all my from you and wandered in the shadows and found a God who relentlessly pursues. I hid from you, haunted by my failure, and found a God whose grace still covers me. I fell on you. At my weakest, and found the God, the lifter of my head. And I've worshipped you and felt you right beside me. You're the reason that I sing, because you're the God of all my days. Each step I take. I will give you all my 
God, you are my vision. And in my bondage, God, you are my freedom. All my days. Is it on? Okay. Good morning. Praise God. Um, what a wonderful day to be praising Him as it is every day. Um, our verse today is going to be page 1354 in Colossians 3. While you're pulling up that verse, um, we want to keep Amanda Haynes um, on our prayer list. She was released and is in the Ronald McDonald house and go, goes in for dialysis every day and afterwards can see the baby because the baby is still going to be there for some time. The prayer for the baby is that the lungs are not developing as they should. So we are in prayer for that. Um, Deborah will be going to visit them and, and pray over the baby and Amanda. And we just want to keep them in our prayers. Um, always on our minds is the, um, the disruption in Israel and all that's going on there. Um, whatever God is doing there, we're praying into that. And um, Teresa is home today with an earache, so we'll pray for her healing. And um, we had a friend stay at our house. It was my sister-in-law and it was and, and our nephew. And it was his friend, Charles, that came with him and stayed in our house and evidently during the night had a seizure. And I guess this was his first one. I don't know. I haven't talked to my sister-in-law. I was trying to get an update. Um, but then he had another one. They went to go see the eclipse, and they had another one on the road there. And then he had another one coming home. So this is new for him and the, when they got home his dad took him to the hospital so I have not got an update about that but I'd like to keep him in our prayers too and still Brooke and Ryan and and their um, complicated pregnancy that we know that God has them in, the, in uh, his hand whatever his will is but we pray father that it could be uh, that we could praise him over what he does here yes okay so Colossians 3, verse 14. But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I just, this is a picture to me of what we do every morning here at church. I love um, that we get to come together and worship him. And um, I've been reading on thankfulness, and um, I like that. It's, it's, a, it's commanded, be thankful. And... Um, we may not always feel thankful, but once we choose to be thankful, it can change our position um, and being focused more on what God's blessings are. So if you will go with me in prayer right now, we will go to the Lord. Father God, thank you that in the 
turmoil and disruption in our earthly lives and world and the things going on, Father, that we can come to you to be thankful, to praise you, that you are always working, Father, that you are always doing, that there are always blessings to be seen. Father, help us to keep our focus on you and your will and your journey for us, Father, your path that you have for each of us. Father, we are mindful of all those here and all those who aren't here, Father, that we could come together today in praise and in worship and to give you glory, Father. Father, may we, our hearts and minds and ears be ready to hear spiritually today. May the enemy be rejected from being a presence here that he must flee, that, Father, that only your word and your message for us today will be delivered into our hearts and that we could carry it forth into our lives and relationships after we leave. We pray for Amanda and the baby, Father. We know that you have them in your hands. Father, that your will be done for Amanda and her kidneys and the baby and its lungs. Um, Father, you are the great healer for Israel and for Teresa and for Charles and for Brooke and Ryan, Father, that the, the same things, Father, we just lean on you and depend on you and trust in you. May this day glorify you, Father, in all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up till I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God cause all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able oh I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice you have led me through the fire in darkest night you are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend and I have lived in the goodness of God. Hey. Cause all my life you have been faithful. Oh yes you have. And all my life you have been so, so good. Every breath that I am able. Oh I will sing. 
good morning, my friends. It is awesome to be with y'all. If you would join me this morning, we will begin in Romans chapter 1. So if you're in the church's Bible on page 1293, Romans chapter 1. I'm so grateful for this opportunity today because the the message that we're going to look at is so profound and yet practical. It is it is God's eternal plan and it will give us insight for what today should look like for each and every one of us. Last week, uh, Deborah gave an incredible message out of Romans 9 for us and um She's not here, so I can say this, because if she were, she, would, she wouldn't be excited that I'd be paying her such a great compliment. But um, the message the Lord gave through her was so incredible and powerful. And the effort that I know physically and spiritually that she went through for this message and the fruit that we receive from it is amazing. And yesterday, I, I listened to her message again, and I found myself just kind of you know, if you know me, I, I kind of, mmm, mmm, and I, I, I continued to affirm the things that I knew the Lord was showing again and again and again. And so if you haven't heard it, I encourage you to listen to it because the things that we're learning in Romans 9 are so, Romans, period, are so pivotal for us as God's people. And the songs that we sung today should should illuminate this reality that we're not here by chance and the things that God is doing in each and every one of us and has been doing are not by chance, but they're strategic and they're careful and they're, they're cosmic and they are eternal and we cannot miss these things by reducing this relationship to a few days a week that we come together. Deborah and I talked this week about the many layers to this passage in chapter 9 and that, that can't fit it all in on one day. And if anybody could, it would be Deborah, right? She, she loves to unpack things, but even Deborah cannot. And so um, in order for us to fully embrace it, we're going to study some of the same things to really build this foundation um, together. The first thing that, that I want to mention is not so much a point as it is a factor. I know, I know we're in Romans 1. We're not going to read there just quite yet. I just want to get us kind of set there. So the first thing is not so much a point as it is a factor that we will see influencing mankind. It's an ideal called replacement theology. And Deborah hinted at this a little bit last week. And this idea of replacement theology is known simply to mean that the Christian church has replaced the nation of Israel as God's covenant people. This is undoubtedly a heresy that we here, a part of God's church, has replaced Israel. 
However, I, re- I believe that this idea of replacement theology uh, came much earlier than just the first century or even the 21st century people. I believe this is pervasive throughout Scripture, as we'll see today. Deborah addressed last week, well, distinguishing the flesh from the spirit. And we considered how Abraham and Sarah tried to replace God's plan of Isaac with Ishmael. For now, I want to define replacement theology as any kind of corruption or manipulation to God's divine plan. If we understand that, then that means that this replacement theology is much bigger than one thing. It is detrimental to God's people who would replace his spiritual plans with their fleshly plans. And I believe that we'll see how Paul's message in chapter 9 that we'll look at today is not aligning with replacement theology, but a warning against it in every form and way. The second thing that we must have in perspective today is what Paul's position is. So I want us to start by reading the very beginning of this letter of Romans to have this context and frame for Paul's position. So let's read together in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes this, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the theme of the letter of Romans is to prove that the gospel as we know it, this gospel that many dedicate as only in the New Testament, right? This gospel that we know it, Paul, who is the writer of the majority of the New Testament, he says that the theme of this letter is to prove that the gospel is about the God of the Old Testament. Do you see that? The God, the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. There is no other scripture at this point. There are no other prophets at this point other than those in the Old Testament. The good news was promised beforehand, Paul says, through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. So what Paul is telling us is that there cannot be any good news of Jesus unless the good part is a part of God's divine plan in the Old Testament, which has been prophesied to us and written about to us. Now, we may take that and we may think, well, of course, but many do not see it that way. They have created a new religion out of Jesus' ministry, a new religion that can be distinct from the God of the Old Testament. And that gets really confusing because then they imagine this God of the Old Testament who's harsh and mean and cruel and this New Testament Jesus who is cool, calm, and collected. And that's heresy. It's worth pointing out that there are no scriptures prophesying how churchgoers would replace God's covenant people Israel. There's nothing that prophesies that one day, Susan, you and I would be in this place and that we would be the new Israel. 
That's preposterous. But many read scripture this way. Yet Paul, who is Hebrew of Hebrews, Jew of Jews, scholar of Old Testament, makes it clear for us today there is no replacement for Israel. So flip over to chapter 9 of Romans in the church's Bible on page 1300, where we'll study today. Especially in these chapters that we'll be in for the next few weeks, especially in chapters 9 through 11, Paul wants us to understand how the gospel we read in the New Testament is in perfect harmony with God's plan in the Old Testament. And I believe that that what we read today, Paul is really addressing three different parties. The first party that he is addressing is the Jewish people those who are born of Israel. See, they need this message to understand how the gospel that we have accepted is truly the fulfillment of the Old Testament. God's people, Israel, need to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all prophecies. The second party I believe that Paul is appealing to are Jewish Christians, of which Paul is one one born Jewish who has accepted Jesus as his Savior. And Paul and other Jewish Christians need to know that their faith in Jesus does not change the Old Testament. It does not do away with it. It does not cease its meaning and significance and influence. It fulfills it. And to us who are Gentile believers, Gentile Christians, to see that the faith that we have is not an establishment of a new religion, but one with the same God of the Old Testament. These three things I believe Paul is, a, is speaking to, these three parties Paul is speaking to at the same time, and so he's, he's working to convey meaning that all of us deeply need to understand together. So with these two things in mind, this this idea of replacement theology and this position of Paul bringing together the Old Testament and the New, let's read together. Verses 1 through 5 of Romans 9. Paul says, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing witness of me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. So last week we studied here, and so we're not going to go through everything, but Deborah, Deborah explained what verse 4 means. She explained the, the adoption, the glory, the law, the service of God, and the promises, but she saved the covenants for another time. She saved them for today. 
So today, this is what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on being reminded and understanding what covenants Paul is talking about. Because even as believers, even as those who may have studied God's word cover to cover, if we just read this word covenants out of context, we just go, oh yeah, God's good. He made a few promises to his people along the way. And we miss that cover to cover, God's word is about his promises to his people and God making good on what he has promised. Understanding the Bible as a whole story is impossible without the covenants. It's challenging and and really impossible for these, these Old Testament and New Testament understandings to fit together unless we know the covenants that really bind them together. Throughout the Bible, we can see that God is a covenant-making. He is a covenant-keeping and covenant-fulfilling God. And through his covenants, he demonstrates his character, his holiness, his nature, and he fulfills his word and plan for redemption. So today is an exciting day for us. So what is a covenant? We use this word pretty regularly in, in church, don't we? Because it's part of the Bible. So we say the Old Covenant or the New, T- New Covenant or Old Testament or New Testament. A covenant in the Old Testament is much like a contract or an agreement. A covenant established the basis of a relationship. So parties express their intentions to one another and more importantly, the consequences if conditions were not met. It's easy for us today to to kind of think of the negative parts of a covenant, right, or an agreement. We might think of a lease agreement with a landlord. If we fail to pay our rent on time or our mortgage on time, as a condition of the agreement, we may no longer be able to live in our house. But God's covenants are given in love like a marriage agreement. He has pledged himself again and again and again to mankind for our benefit and for his glory. There are many covenants in scripture that we could study, but I think for today, five are very important for understanding really the story of the Bible and what Paul is addressing for us in Romans. So we're going to look at five very briefly. The first is the Noahide covenant, or the covenant given to Noah. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, page So we know the story of the flood, that the earth was filled with evil, and that in God's goodness, he did bring a flood to destroy evil and to restore creation. You can read the the background of the story of the flood, and you can read the fullness of the, the conversation with God and with Noah in Genesis 8 and 9, but for this morning, we'll just read what's relevant, which is chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. Then God spoke to Noah and his sons with him, saying, 
As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you. And all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of my covenant. Excuse me, this is a sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and you. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh, The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and you and all flesh that is on earth. So God makes this covenant with Noah after the flood, and it includes mankind and all creation. And he promises that he would never again destroy mankind and creation with a flood. And so every time we see a rainbow, we are to be reminded, as is God, of this promise. It's so easy to take God's word for granted, isn't it? Of all the pagan gods of the world, none make promises to mankind that are for their benefit. So when we see a rainbow today, we ought to look in the sky and think, yes, God is good. He is faithful, and his word and his promise endures forever. The second covenant we'll look at is the Abrahamic covenant. So turn over just two pages or three pages to Genesis 12 on page 12. Genesis 12, page 12. Unfortunately, after the flood and after Noah, evil continued in the world. The story of Abraham, it spans Genesis 12 through 18, and it is worth reading in detail to see God's covenants with Abraham. But we'll look at two passages. So first, we'll read in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, From your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now turn over a few pages to Genesis 15. Genesis 15 on page 15. We'll read in verse 1 through 7, verse 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord, God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? 
Then God said, look, you have given me no, excuse me, then Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and count the number of stars if you can see the number of them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him as righteousness. So God promises Abraham and la- excuse me, Abram and later Abraham land, descendants, and eventually to be a blessing to all people of the earth. And this covenant is critical for us to understand God's covenant people who are Israel and the sign of circumcision and the promised land that they would eventually occupy. God gives Abraham all these promises and they all were fulfilled and have been fulfilled. The third covenant is the Mosaic covenant given to Moses. So turn next to Exodus 19 page 82 in the church's Bible, Exodus 19. Many years after the covenant was given to Abraham, Abraham had many many descendants and these descendants were enslaved in Egypt and so God delivers them out of bondage and you can read that whole story in Exodus 19 through 24 we're going to look at just one passage we're going to look in 19 verses 1 through 7 it says in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai for they had departed from Rephidim had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped before the mountain, and Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if indeed you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, You shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and he called the elders of the people and he laid before them all the words which the Lord had commanded. So with this covenant, God provides to Israel his Torah, right, his law, his ways of life to govern and protect them as they went into the promised land. This law would set them apart from the world and it was meant to make them a special nation of priests forever. This covenant was conditional though. God commanded Israel to obey the laws that he gave to Moses at Mount Mount Sinai, and he promised to bring forth blessings if they kept them, but curses if they refused them. The fourth covenant is the Davidic covenant, the covenant given given to David. 
So turn now to 2 Samuel 7 in the church's Bible, page 357. 2 Samuel 7. By now what we read, excuse me, is that the Israelites have entered into the promised land and they've demanded a king. God was their king, but they said we want to be like everyone else, so God gave them a king. Saul, Saul was a disaster, and so God selected David, who was a man after his own heart, to be the king of Israel. So what we're going to read here in chapter 7 is the prophet Nathan speaking to David on behalf of the Lord. So we'll read together verses 8 through 16. Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be a ruler over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies before you, And it made you a great name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, I have cursed you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and when you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul who I removed before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So in this covenant with David, God promises that David's house would endure forever. And there's a lot of history that happens in Israel. There are times where Israel is in captivity, but David's lineage did survive forever. From it, we read in the New Testament and the Gospels that Jesus came from the line of David. It's why if you look at any Gospels, the first few pages are filled with genealogies that take up many pages to make sure that we understand that this prophecy by Nathan to David and to Israel was fulfilled. The fifth is the New Covenant. So turn now with me to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31 on page 910. Jeremiah 
All right, let's read together verses 31 through 33. Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them out of the land, excuse me, that I took them out by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, let me, let me start that part over again. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put the law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. So this covenant that Jeremiah is prophesying about is not yet official at this time. It is being prophesied about to come at a later day. The word that we we read here in in, um, in verse 31, Jeremiah says, I will make a new covenant. This word new, Hebrew has so few words, so this word does not make sense in the fullness that I believe the context gives it, which is why this verse uh, is often translated not like or unique. This covenant that Jeremiah is talking about is, is a little different than the others. Now, here that this word new does not mean the others have passed away, but instead this covenant is doing something unlike the others. We can see this meaning more clearly in the Greek, so turn with me to Luke chapter 22, page 1214. Gospel of Luke 22, page read in Luke's gospel verses 14 through 23 a familiar story of Jesus's Passover with his disciples. Verse 14 says, when the hour had come, he sat down with the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not eat, I will not, excuse me, drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, he gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So this new covenant that Jesus is fulfilling that has been prophesied by Jeremiah is new because it is in blood. And what it accomplishes is eternal and forever. The the word that Jesus uses for new here is one of two Greek words. The other means new as in compared to old. 
we often confuse this new covenant as the New Testament, and so we think of the Old Testament as simply old. Like one is true and one is false, and that is not what Jesus is saying at all. He uses the Greek word kine, which means fresh or not found exactly like this before, to say that this covenant complements and fulfills the others and has not been offered like this before. These are the covenants that Paul is talking about in Romans 9. I know this is a lot of reading, and I know this is a lot of information, and it's a a lot of, of reading similar stories of God making promises to mankind. But it's amazing how progressively these covenants work together, isn't it? They form a complete storyline from the beginning of God's word and all mankind. God preserved the world through his covenant with Noah. God started redemption through his covenant with Abraham. God set apart the nation of Israel with his covenant with Moses at Sinai. God promised an eternal king through his covenant with David. And finally, God fulfilled all his covenants through Jesus. And this is really a a brief explanation of these covenants. We really didn't scratch the surface for what we we could study and understand and take away from God's promises to his people each of these different times. But it's so important because what we read in the New Testament is the fulfillment of these things. We can't simply open up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, Corinthians out of the context of these covenants. Yet many do. So many are uninformed and scripture doesn't make sense and it seems incomplete and it seems to contradict itself because out of the context of these covenants, it does not make any sense. God's gospel and Jesus is for those who receive these covenants. We'll see more clearly. And not one of these covenants has been done away with or abolished. Let's turn back now to Romans 9. In the church's Bible on page 1301. Knowing all these covenants now the way that we do, this idea of a replacement for God's people Israel should seem absurd for God's word in the Old Testament again and again and again it narrows and it establishes his purpose for his people and so when we come to Jesus who is Jewish who is a Hebrew who came of the line of David fulfilling that prophecy who came to bless all of the earth according to what was given to Abraham, who came to fulfill the law and the prophets of which Moses spoke. 
how could one read anything other than the fulfillment of God's plan to both Jew and Gentile through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? Paul's remarks in verses 9 through 11 will show us that the Gentiles, um, of whom I, I believe we are all a part, are to be grafted into these covenants. And I won't spoil what Deborah will teach, but Paul clearly says that we must be grafted in. There is no Gentile covenant in Scripture. There's not. There's not a, a replacement covenant for Gentiles. There's not a covenant that says, oh, and I have come to establish an even newer covenant that is distinct and different and is only for Gentiles to replace Israel. Furthermore, with proper covenant knowledge, what Paul is so flustered about here in chapter 9 will make even better sense. Let's read uh, verses 2 and 3 together again in chapter 9. And then hold your hold your hand here because we're going to turn another page after we read this. Paul says in Romans 9, 2 and 3, For I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh. Now, this seems bizarre, doesn't it? That Paul would be so frustrated and so disappointed and so grieved that he would want to take a curse from Jesus on him that his countrymen, that the Jewish people, that those of Israel would, would know what he knows. But hold your hand here and turn with me to Exodus 32 on page 100. Exodus 32, page 100. We're going to read in Exodus 32, just verses 31 and 32. No, excuse me. Um, third, we'll read 30, 31, and 32. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, so now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin, and I and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Now, does what Moses just said to God sound familiar to Paul? The people have sinned. The people don't know what they're doing. Would you blot me out from the book of life in order to forgive them. Turn back over here to, to what we read in Romans 2 and 3. Paul says, For I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I wish I myself, I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Now, even if this doesn't sound familiar, it is familiar. And I believe what Paul is doing is duplicating Moses' words that the Israelites would understand what he's saying. That we would understand the grief that is in his heart. Because essentially both of these men, Moses and Paul, are broken. 
they're broken and they're grieved because God's people don't understand God's plan. Back here in Exodus, Moses had just come down the mountain with the third covenant we talked about. He'd just come down from Sinai after being up there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights, and he comes down to see his brother Aaron, high priest, by the way, and all the people of Israel having fashioned together another God. He's grieved. He knows that that this sin, that this apostasy, that a bull or a goat won't be enough. And he says in his grief, Lord, would you, would you take me? Would you allow me to be a sacrifice for this so that you don't wipe out this entire covenant people? He knows the severity. God, of course, says no. God says, I'll spare the nation of Israel, but these here I can't hold guiltless. And they were put to death. But God did spare the nation of Israel as a whole. Flip back here to Romans 9 if you haven't already. I believe that Paul duplicates Moses' heart and statement of great disappointment like those who didn't understand God's plan that he just delivered them out of slavery, that Moses was up on the mountains, that they could hear the thundering, they could see the smoke, they knew what was taking place, right? They weren't ignorant of what God was doing, but they just didn't understand the significance. Likewise, Paul knows that Israel, who has been given all of these great things, the promises of God, the covenants of God, the service of God, They don't understand the significance of what has been done in Jesus. He repeats Moses' heart to say, Lord, take me that these people may know who you are. He knows all too well that he won't be the sacrifice that's needed, but he's saying this for our benefit, that we should see his heart, that he's not angry, that he's not condemning them, that he is grieved for what they have been blinded to. He's brokenhearted for his brethren, his countrymen, the Israelites, who don't understand that each of these covenants we've just walked through today have been fulfilled in the person and the name of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for us today? Well, for one, I believe that we ought to share the same grief as Moses and the same grief as Paul and refine our prayers for those who don't know Jesus. We will continue to learn who Israel is according to the Spirit. And what it means for those of us who are Gentiles to be grafted in to these promises. And I pray the Lord would reform our hearts to these covenants that we have studied today. And secondly, I believe that the Lord wants to radically transform each one of us to align with his plans and his purposes. I have seen more clearly than ever how dangerous replacing God's promises 
God's spiritual plans with our flesh is. And we should see it in each and every one of these covenants that have been broken. I pray that we would take seriously what God has planned and intention for each and every one of us today for his purpose. Amen.